Welcome to Shepherd Psalm, as we have been digging into Psalm 23 from the perspective of a shepherd. Uh, David was a shepherd before he became king, and as he wrote this psalm, he would have written it from a shepherd's perspective. So it's important for us to understand it from a shepherd's perspective as well. Uh, we have been using W. Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, as our guide. And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed the book. It's certainly been insightful and certainly brought out things that I would have never known had not, you know, since I have never been a shepherd before. And uh, so hopefully it's been helpful for you as well. Uh, today we are covering chapter 11. We only have one more chapter left in this book. And so we're looking at the line, uh, the second to last line in David's psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And uh, so next week we'll cover that very last line in uh, Psalm 23. Uh, but let's begin uh, by reading Psalm 23 in its entirety. Hopefully by the end of this you have gotten it memorized and you could do it from memory um, if you couldn't have already. Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's dig in. So before we get into what Keller uh, discusses in his book, I really want to bring out some things from this line, because uh, this line is unique. Um, it contains some beautiful understanding in the Hebrew language. Uh, goodness is the Hebrew word tav, uh, spelled T-O-V. Um, and it means good, obviously. It means prosperity. Um, it means perfection and beauty. Uh, so if you go back to the first chapter of Genesis, you see that when God created something, he called it good, tav. And uh, that meant it was complete, it lacked nothing. When God created something, it didn't lack anything. It was fully formed and functional. The next word, as we look at goodness and mercy, so this word mercy is the Hebrew word chesed. It's, um, it's a hard H, so it's not a CH like we would do it like a CH. It's a CH. Um, CH or KH is typically how you would transliterate it into English. So it's a hard H E S E D, chesed. And it is translated as mercy, but it is also translated as kindness, loving kindness, or faithfulness. And so when it says goodness and mercy will follow me, um, that word is radaf in Hebrew. And it means to follow after, to be behind and to follow after you. Uh, it also means to pursue or to run after. So we could legitimately read this passage as God's goodness, his prosperity and beauty, and God's mercy, his kindness and his faithfulness will run after me, chase me, and pursue me all the days of my life. There was one time I had been a blessing to somebody, 
and in obedience to what God had told me to do. And uh, when they learned of it, they chased me down to thank me and to give me money as a way of blessing me. Well, I ran away from them because I didn't want their money. I didn't do, I didn't bless them so that I could get a, a return from them. I wanted God to reward me, not them. But they were, de they were as determined to catch me as I was to run away. Eventually, I just stopped running. They were like, stop, stop, stop. So I stopped running. They caught me in order to put money in my hand. And this is the idea that we get from this verse. When we are the sheep of God's pasture, staying close to him and relying on him for everything, God's blessings will chase us down and overtake us. We're faced often with the question, is God good? Well, life isn't good. Life isn't easy. It isn't kind. Life can be very difficult and very painful for people. And because of that, they can look at God with spite. Because they think that God is the one that did all these bad things to them. They think that he's the source of evil and pain in their lives. And it's sad that people have such a defective and skewed view of God. This verse, and probably thousands like it, remind us that God's goodness is his character. I preached a sermon going into detail about the goodness of God. And so you can find that on our church's YouTube page under God is Good. As we are the sheep and he is our shepherd, we're told the treatment that we can expect from him. He's not a cruel and inattentive shepherd. He's not careless and harsh. He is good and merciful. He acts with goodness and kindness towards his sheep. Now that's a bold boast, but it's demonstrated through his behavior. You quickly learn a lot about someone by watching their behavior, especially when they think no one is watching. God demonstrates his goodness and kindness at all times because he is the very embodiment of love and mercy and goodness and righteousness. Now, we have no issues with knowing and believing God is good when everything is going right for us. That's easy. We find it incredibly easy to bless God when money's in the bank and our health is good and kids are getting good grades and our HOA is leaving us alone. It's when things aren't going good that some of us begin to question God's goodness and mercy. They ask questions like, if God is good, then why do I have cancer? If God is good, why am I suffering? If God is good, why did my spouse leave? If God is good, why is everything going wrong in my life? It is unfortunate that God gets blamed for things he didn't do to us. But thankfully, he is a patient and loving God to help us get through those times of doubts and questions, to come to a greater understanding of his character. Gideon is four years old, and he is learning how to express his emotions. And he occasionally does something that he's told not to do. So he gets in trouble. 
And if he's really angry about getting in trouble, he will inform me, you're a bad daddy. So I correct his understanding. I tell him, I'm not a bad daddy. I'm a good daddy. Bad daddies don't care what their kids do. Good daddies want their kids to be good kids. So they discipline them when they behave badly. Then he usually replies with, no, you're a bad daddy. And so at this point, we just agree to disagree. Yet within 15 minutes, he will crawl up into my lap, soften his face with one of the most beautiful and sweetest smiles you'll ever see. And he'll say, daddy, you're a good daddy. I love you. He knows I love him even when I discipline him. Disciplining him doesn't make me evil or cruel. It actually makes me the opposite. Scripture says, he whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And, it, and Scripture also says, if you withhold discipline, if you spare the rod, you hate your son. Well, God loves us, and he disciplines us when we stray from his path. Now, we can act like Gideon, and we can cry out that he's a bad God, and he's mean to us. But the truth is that discipline only happens when someone breaks the rules. When we keep the rules, there's no reason for discipline or punishment. If we're enduring God's discipline, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what we've done. Repent of our sins and be reconciled to God. Discipline is never pleasant in the moment, but if we let it do its intended work, it will yield the fruit of righteousness. Now, Gideon loves me because I loved him first, and I've been demonstrating my love for him all of his life. I loved him before he took his first breath in this world, even before he was even aware he had a father. When he was in the womb and he was growing and developing, completely oblivious to the outside world, I was in that outside world, preparing for his arrival and loving him every single day. I spoke to him when he was in the womb. I would sing to him so that when he was born, he would recognize my voice. He would recognize the voice of his father. He may not always obey my voice, but he knows it. Jesus reminded us of this. John, Ch John chapter 10 is a wonderful chapter. I encourage you to read it because it talks a lot about sheep and shepherd and God and Jesus and, and understanding. But Jesus said in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. When children are first born, they haven't done anything to deserve loving treatment. In fact, as you know, it's quite the opposite. They come into this world behaving incredibly selfishly. They require immediate and constant attention. They are not helpful. They are not gracious. They are not kind. They are not patient. They don't deserve anything good from us other than they belong to us. Our love for them overwhelms our frustrations, so we act with love and goodness and mercy towards them. 
not because they deserve it, but because they actually don't deserve it. We model God's behavior to our children, and it's a good reminder for all of us. Flowing from God's heart is a constant stream of goodness and kindness and mercy. His heart is so full of love and compassion towards us. He is near to us at all times, but especially in times of need. When my twin boys were little, they had to be supervised at all times. Uh, People typically frown upon you just abandoning them. So they had to be watched at all times. And we had a large, uh, in our living room, it's, it's kind of a large open area, and so we had a large baby gate that we would put them in. I called it the baby octagon. It was just this large enclosure, and we would put them in there and put pillows and blankets and toys and, and uh, let them play, you know, without getting into anything dangerous, without pulling the TV down on top of themselves, the scary stuff. And so this way they could play, but they still had to be supervised. Uh, They still required constant supervision. Even in that safe enclosure, they still required supervision. And when one of them would fall, sometimes they would fall on a toy and they would get hurt, they instinctively look around the room for a parent to comfort them. When they would fall, we were there to pick them up and pull them close and give them comfort. The pain would subside and they could go back to playing. They look for love and comfort, and we were always there to provide it. God's heart is the same towards us. Keller wrote this. He said, Herein lies the essence of all that has gone before in this psalm. All the care, all the work, all the alert watchfulness, all the skill, all the concern, all the self-sacrifice are born of his love. The love of one who sees his sheep, loves his work, loves his role as a shepherd. As Jesus reminded his disciples in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Since we are the recipients of God's great goodness and mercy, these things should be hallmarks in our lives as well. Um, Yes, they pursue us and overtake us, but they also follow us and are left behind as we pass on. We should demonstrate God's goodness and mercy to those we come in contact with, so they will be left behind as we walk forward in our relationship with Christ. As Keller wrote, goodness and mercy should be a legacy to others wherever I may go. When managed properly, sheep can leave a pasture land better than they found it. They can bless it simply by being good sheep and having a good shepherd. Unfortunately, the opposite is true as well. If they are not cared for and they are managed poorly, they can absolutely devastate a pasture almost beyond repair. Now, in our lives, we may have met a bitter ex-evangelical. Uh, they're called ex-evangelicals now. And I would guarantee these people who are bitter towards Christianity and bitter towards the church were mismanaged. And they were treated poorly by their shepherds, 
and those in authority over them. I would guarantee their interactions with Christians had so wounded them and frustrated them that they left the church to get away from mismanaged churches and Christians that were more interested in spewing venom than demonstrating God's goodness. Often at funerals, there's a discussion of legacy. <clears throat> what will we leave behind when our life is over? Will we leave behind children that will fight and squabble over an inheritance? Will we leave behind a family wounded by our mismanagement and poor leadership? Will we leave behind something wonderful, a family and friends that are better off for having known us? Do we leave things better than the way we found them? For pastors, that's not to say that we found them mismanaged or in disrepair, but rather, did we improve things? Did we invest in people? Were we faithful to God's calling and his vision for ministry? One of my favorite quotes is this, um, A generation is great when its old men plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. We have to think about what we're leaving behind that can build up, up uh, that, that others can build upon uh, for the future of God's kingdom and purposes. Keller, in, his, in this chapter, he reminded us of the verse Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Well, this chapter was written around the time of the Babylonian exile for the Jews, so in a time of war and chaos where kingdoms were rising and falling and overthrowing other kingdoms, leaving smaller nations like Israel in their wake, good news of peaceful conditions was a rare commodity. And Isaiah gives the mental picture of seeing a messenger coming towards you with good news, with a smile on their face. How wonderful it is to see them coming. How beautiful is this messenger who brings some good news in a world ravaged by war and wickedness? Are we as committed to proclaiming peace as we should be? Or do we leave behind a trail of arguments and disagreements? Are we known for being a forgiving person or are we wrapped up in bitterness? Are we content with what God has given us or are we jealous for what others have? Are we leaving behind love and kindness? Or are we leaving behind hatred, apathy, and rudeness? Some people leave a mess behind everywhere they go. That is not how God expects us to behave. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our lives, but it takes our commitment to sow those seeds. Only then will the harvest we leave behind after our lives are over will demonstrate the fruit of a life well-lived and a person who followed hard after God. Next week, we will conclude this series with chapter 12 in Keller's book, talking about that very last line in Psalm 23, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We'll see you then. God bless.